0: Hello and welcome back to the Golden Hurricane, a weekly podcast covering Golden Hurricane athletics at the University of Tulsa. I'm Ryan Token.
1: I'm Matt Rectine.
0: And Matt and I are still basking in the glory that was Tulsa's win over then number 11 UCF uh, back on October 3rd. Huge win. Uh, we've talked about it plenty. The entire episode last week was just a recap of that game since we didn't have a, a, a game to preview. Um, we had a bi week you know this past weekend um so with uh, the extra time that we've got this time we spent this whole episode basically previewing the next game which is uh against cincinnati the third straight ranked team in a row huge matchup huge matchup cincinnati's coming in number eight in the country which means we've got a game against a top 10 team for homecoming this year which is incredibly exciting so to preview that game, we are bringing in Clayton Truder. Clayton writes for Cincinnati's SB Nation site Down the Drive, uh, also does plenty of other stuff, <laughs> which uh, he'll kind of preview for you when we, when we get him on the phone. Um, we also, you know, we discuss a whole lot. We discuss whether Cincinnati deserves their number eight ranking at this point in the season. Uh, we talk about Cincinnati's expectations for the year, what's different this season than the Bearcats season and team that they had last year. Um, whether their quarterback, Desmond Ritter, is regressing, how incredible the Bearcats' defense is and seems like they always are, and plenty more. Uh, It was really a nice chat with Clayton. Really grateful that he joined us on the show, spent some time with us late on a Monday night. So thanks very much to him um, and hope you enjoy the the conversation. Uh, Once we're done with uh, talking with Clayton, we will also talk some American Conference to close out the episode. So let's get into it.
1: Stay golden. Hurricane.
0: And we are here with Clayton Truder. Clayton writes for Cincinnati's SB Nation site Down the Drive. And we are going to go in depth on the Bearcats with him uh, today. Clayton, it looks like you're involved in a whole bunch of other stuff based on your Twitter bio outside of Down the Drive. So why don't you, you know, first things first, just kind of tell us how things have been with Down the Drive and also what those other projects are uh, that are kind of in your in your Twitter bio there.
2: Down the Drive is a fantastic place to write. I've been working for SB Nation for the past four years covering Cincinnati athletics. Before that, I really didn't have any particular connection to Cincinnati, but I was looking for an opportunity as a hobby to write about college football and hopefully get paid a little bit for it. And Down the Drive has been a great opportunity for that. I've written for them, writing about college basketball, men's and women's and football for the past Mm -hmm. few seasons. And I took over as editor um, in um, um, in the summer this year. And I'm be doing that for some time uh I'm also i i'm a history professor at norwich university in vermont i have a phd in, phd in history from boston college i write book reviews for a wide range of venues i have a book coming out next year about the history of professional sports in atlanta <laughs> uh, more details than that soon you can follow me on twitter at clayton truder c-l-a-y-t-o-n-t-r-u-t-o-r I'm the Vermont State Chairman of the Society for American Baseball Research, so I, I wear a lot of different uh, different hats. This is this is one of them.
0: Yeah, very nice. So, how did you get? I mean, was were you born in Cincinnati? Did you just go there for school? How did you get associated with the Bearcats? And then also, where does the Atlanta uh, angle come into play there?
2: I have no connection with Cincinnati whatsoever. When I when they hired <laughs> me, I was off. I think they had an opening at Boise, Boise State, and Washington State, and. My brother lived in Ohio at the time, so I figured Cincinnati was the one I had the closest relationship to. Nice. Uh, I lived in Boston at the time. I had no particular connection to any of these places, but uh, yeah, Cincinnati has certainly embraced me. Their fans have been very friendly and open and welcoming to me, and it's been great to get to know about their football program and other athletic programs over the past few years, and also to get to, get to know the American Conference. I wasn't that familiar with some of the teams in it, which had bounced around in some different conferences.
0: So mm-hmm. It's been
2: a great opportunity in many different respects.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's always a blast playing the Bearcats. Um in related, you know, related to the SB Nation deal, um, you I mean you're prolific on there, right? And every day like you said is that is the deal there that you have to write a certain amount like once a day or you know a few times a week or something or what's the what's the kind of structure of that?
2: They, they want something up every day. We have we have a, we have a number of contributors, but I tend to contribute something something every day usually about football this time here uh i mean it's all dependent on on the seasons right now with so many sports down i mean normally we have coverage of uh soccer we cover um we cover baseball in the spring we Mm -hmm. cover uh, cover women's lacrosse a little bit um we're going to try to build up our coverage of some of these sports other than football and basketball in the um, in the in the Next year, once things get a little bit more normal in terms of that, we have very significant coverage of women's basketball, Cincinnati women's basketball's been pretty strong the last couple of years. Yeah. So I try to contribute something every day, kicking in essentially whatever among our needs is the thing that doesn't have somebody else covering it tends to be my, uh, tends to be my approach.
0: Very nice. Well, getting into uh, football, um, that's what we've got coming up this weekend. Cincinnati comes to Tulsa ranked number eight in the country with a ranked win over Army already under their belt. With for you guys, number eight. Uh, if I have this right, I, I believe it's your highest ranking since 2009, when I uh, when I think you were all the way up at number four uh, nationally. That's, with yeah, yeah with uh, with uh, Tony, and Matt and, and what was that?
2: With Tony Pike and Brian Kelly and the
0: gang. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Matt Matt actually reminded me that it was Brian Kelly at head coach there. Pretty amazing uh, time. So in relation to the, the number eight ranking there, number eight nationally, um, best since 2009, do you think number eight is an appropriate ranking for Cincinnati? Do you think that's where they belong right now? Or should they be, you know, ranked even higher or ranked lower? Or, or what, what are your thoughts on their ranking?
2: If I was doing the poll, I think I'd have them ranked a little lower. I think in particular after their performance against South Florida, they were pretty inconsistent in that game and made a team whose ranks, just a few ranks higher look uh, I mean, South Florida's game against Notre Dame was frankly embarrassing. They didn't even look like a Division One program. Then they come in and play Cincinnati and go toe-to-toe with them throughout the first half. The idea that Cincinnati is only five ranks lower than Notre Dame to me seems a little bit unrealistic at this point. I think Cincinnati probably merits a ranking more like between 13 and 15 right now based on my reading of college football. I'm also a little nervous about it going into this game that there's a tendency towards self-congratulation when you get ranked this highly this early. It's also a very strange season, um, ha- you know. In- without having the Big Ten, the Pac-10 around, it makes the re- ratings seem a little, little strange, a little artificial right now. So I'm a bit concerned there might be, um, I guess a, a sense that the that the Bearcats have accomplished something they-, they haven't quite yet at this point. I think it's a very good team. They certainly deserve to be nationally ranked. I think they have a strong chance to win the conference, but I'm a little concerned that they've that they've got too much too soon at this
1: point
0: yeah and i i agree with you for the most part um you know and as much as i am looking forward to playing a top 10 team this weekend at home in tulsa here i uh, was kind of hoping you'd drop only for the fact that tulsa has played the number 11 team uh two games in a row now we yes. played you know number 11 oklahoma state uh in Stillwater, and then uh, you know a little bit over a week ago now number 11 UCF in Orlando so I was really hoping for that triple the uh, the triple the triple decker there of number 11 three times
2: when, when I was looking at Tulsa's website I think it was early it was this morning or yesterday the days kind of blend together but I thought that can't be true that's got to be a typo that they played the number <laughs> ranked ranked team twice in a row that just seems so strange Man, yeah. I, I I watched, I watched both of you, condensed uh, versions of both your games, and I was very impressed, and I'm, I'm quite concerned coming into this weekend. I think you guys have a really balanced attack. I was really impressed by your defense in particular uh, in that Oklahoma State game. You guys have some serious uh, weapons on defense, so I think this is a, a very challenging game for Cincinnati.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, I think everybody's really looking forward to it, big-time game. Uh, Matt, I think you had a question lined up next, so I'll let you take the next one.
1: Yeah. So I guess just going back on, you mentioned that Cincinnati has uh conference championship uh, expectations this year. How does that change with the, you know, UCF who was ranked like, I guess the preseason favorite for the American now that they've like been knocked off and by Tulsa. For,
2: so I, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? I stepped all over you when I was saying that I think they deserve to be that.
1: Yeah. I was just wondering, uh, with their loss does anything change for cincinnati like expectation wise like do you got do you think that you're more in line to win the conference now well they're not going to be able to
2: hide from anybody at this point in some way having ucf being um, considered among the best teams in the country enabled cincinnati to kind of camp out and be everybody's oh quietly as a dark horse the cincinnati bearcats might be a team that will do something now you have a target on your back as the undefeated team, the best team in the conference. I mean, SMU, I think, isn't even though SMU is undefeated, too, and they're 4-0 right now, I believe, right? Correct. Uh, I think they. it's not quite the same for them. They haven't been quite at the same level the last couple of years because of all the success Cincinnati's had under Fickle the last couple of seasons. This team is going to be everybody's focus in the conference, and I do not anticipate them running the table. There's going to be a misstep somewhere. The conference is just too deep at this point. I mean, I think there's a couple teams that've looked kind of crummy in the conference, but there really aren't that many bad teams in the American anymore. Most of the teams mm-hmm. are pretty solid clubs, and you, you you can't just walk in and expect to beat um eight or nine of these clubs certainly uh week in week out. So I, th- I expect Cincinnati to have a very good record, but the idea that they're going to end the season undefeated that seems that seems hard for me to believe.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Um Okay, so talking a little bit about overall series and how things have played out over the years. So Tulsa leads the overall series 17-15. to 15. However, <laughs> Cincinnati's won six of the last seven, uh, and that goes back to 1993. Last year's game was a Cincinnati win 24-13 to 13 in Cincinnati, so on the road for Tulsa. Um, comparing, you know, looking back at last year's team, really successful team.
2: I felt that game was closer than a 24-13 game myself. Exa- I know. I felt that was a competitive game throughout. Yeah. Cincinnati was really lucky to get away with the win in that one.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I totally agree. And when I even looked up that score again, uh preparing for this one, I was like, Oh, you know, I I I remembered it as being closer than twenty four to thirteen even. Um but yeah, it was just it kind of got away from us a little bit in the fourth. But it was it was neck and neck, you know, that whole time and even even kind of midway through the fourth quarter, I think it was it was really close there. Um but looking back at last year's team uh and how well they did all season, what are the biggest differences from last year's Cincinnati team compared to this year's team?
2: I mean, the receiving core is much depleted. I mean, we're still looking for someone to emerge as the go-to target for Ritter. I think a lot of Ritter's struggles are the result of lacking Josiah Deguera, among other targets uh, this year, who are now Mm -hmm. in the NFL or or elsewhere in professional football. I mean, Jason Jackson's had some pretty good plays in the first couple of weeks. Um, Josh Wiles has been okay at tight end, but there really hasn't been a go-to guy, a bread-and-butter uh, kind of receiver who's emerged for him at this point. Uh, Cincinnati seems quite dependent on this on three-headed running monster, and it's pretty solid offensive line at this point to move the ball. Uh, I mean, even it's not just against South Florida. I, against Army, Cincinnati had some struggles throwing the ball consistently as well. So I think it's certainly a concern as they move into the meat of their schedule. Um, I, on defense, the team is very experienced and plays well. I think, I think they're the best defensive team in the AAC, probably one of the best defensive teams in the country. Mm-hmm. Whether Cincinnati can move the ball consistently enough week to week to keep winning is is my primary concern moving forward. I wish Ritter had made a little more progress by this point. Um, his first year as the starter, he seemed to kind of step into poop and it would turn into gold. That <laughs> hasn't quite happened uh, moving forward. He's looked pretty vulnerable at points. There have been some kind of Rumbles around the Cincinnati blogosphere at least about Ben Bryant, the sophomore backup quarterback, possibly going in there. I certainly wouldn't uh, wouldn't pull the trigger at this point. Uh, Desmond has won a lot of games for the Bearcats, has proven in the I mean overall a pretty solid starter for them. But uh, there's certainly been a couple of hiccups early on this year uh, with his performance, and to some extent, I think it's a result of his uh, supporting cast on the perimeter.
0: Yeah, so that uh that's a good note because my next something I wanted to ask about was about Desmond and how he's been this year, right? So you mentioned he kind of stepped into it freshman year and did super well. I I it was 20 touchdowns and five interceptions, I'm pretty sure. And then uh last year it looks like 18 touchdowns and nine interceptions, and then this year he's already thrown uh four against uh two of those teams that those have happened against our uh, you know relatively subpar teams in in USF. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I mean you kind of hit on it already a little bit but how worried are you I guess about Desmond do you think at some point this year if you were to make a prediction would you think that he does get pulled for Ben Bryant the sophomore or how are you feeling overall about the QB spot
2: I think if he stays healthy he'll remain the starting quarterback I think he does bring a bit versatility as a running quarterback I guess my biggest concern is I wish his decision making would have improved a little bit by this point I think he takes some awfully dumb chances sometimes particularly in third-down situations. What I anticipate happening is he will generally be a fairly successful quarterback who will disappoint at times in the clutch, and he will probably have a worse reputation among Cincinnati fans than he deserves due to a couple of hiccups. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I anticipate him remaining the starting quarterback, but I do think Ben Bryant, there will be talk of him throughout the year possibly replacing him if things go awry from time to time. But I think, I think Ritter is probably a slightly above average starting quarterback in the AAC. He's not an elite quarterback. And I think people just kind of need to accept that for what it is. I mean, as, uh, as Aristotle said, the, uh, the perfect is the enemy of the good and I'd rather have a good (laughs) than, uh, than trying to have a perfect quarterback. Certainly don't have that, but I think we have a good one though. And I think at this point we kind of know what he is. Um, interestingly, I was, yeah, I watched the USF Notre Dame film when I was preparing for that, uh, when I was preparing for USF to play Cincinnati. He kind of reminds me of Ian Book, Notre Dame's quarterback, too, who does some awfully crazy things, it seems like, to me. Mm. And uh, he'll just throw the ball left-handed. He'll uh, just take crazy <laughs> running decisions all over the place. They strike me as very similar quarterbacks, and I think probably somewhat parallel in ability. I mean, Book's supporting cast – is certainly, uh, at least in terms of skill positions, is certainly stronger. But um, they're uh, they're both at this point long tenured starters who, in some ways, make uh, uh, rookie mistakes on on a frequent basis.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think your point about perfect being the enemy of the good is a perfect uh, explanation of what might be going on there in Cincinnati. Um, something else you touched on in terms of the offense and what's going on on that side of the ball Uh, receiver wise it looks like a little shallow so far still looking for somebody but we kind of know what's going on at the running back spot so you touched on the three-headed monster there uh, that they've got and losing michael warren last year everyone was or at least i was uh kind of concerned you know are they going to drop off and that has absolutely not happened with uh with jared dokes he's kind of a household name in the conference now um, but outside of Jared Dokes, who are who are the you know, for for any of the uninitiated, who are the other two that are stepping up in in his place?
2: Outside of Dokes, who's both a workhorse and also an, an excellent pass catcher, I think he may be the best mm-hmm. pass catching back in the conference. You have Charles McClellan, who's kind of a, a I guess he's a between the tackles kind of back and Jerome Ford, who's a little bit more of a, a, a pocket rocket spitfire type who also contribute on the ground. So Cincinnati has no reason to ever have a non-fresh back. Um, behind uh, Desmond uh, Ritter getting the ball. So Cincinnati can really, with a fairly experienced, fairly really strong offensive line, can batter teams with this uh, multifaceted running attack. And I think that would largely be my approach, um, try to open up play-action passes for Ritter, opportunities for him to use his feet or to try to make a big play. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, this should be a team that is pounding the ball 40, 50 times a game. Moving um, I, To be frank, I also like that style of football, so it wouldn't be uh, <laughs> yeah. would you- that
0: either yeah that's that's one of the matchups i'm most looking forward to is the is the ground game against our our run stopping defense because even so last year was a totally different story our run defense was kind of abysmal at at times in the season and uh, i think that really helped out Cincinnati being able to run all over us um this season it seems to have really stepped up in ways that i didn't really expect I, i don't think matt expected it a lot of people didn't didn't expect it to be quite as good as it's been so far Um, The pass defense obviously as well, Uh, but the, the defense, the rush, the rushing defense was more of a question mark. So I am, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that goes because we had a great stop game against Chuba Hubbard and the Cowboys and then UCF, we kind of held them in check as well uh, for the most part. So I'm, you know, I think after two games, you can probably call it not a fluke anymore, but I'm this is a huge test for uh, for uh, for Tulsa's rush defense against Cincinnati and Jared Dokes and the crew there. So I'm definitely looking forward to that.
2: Man, Zavin, you call it Zavin, is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, that's Collins? right.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And he looks like Luke Keekly out there. He's on the <laughs> sideline to sideline, intercepting passes, making sacks. Uh, what's it, Kendarin? Um,
0: Kendarin Ray, Kendurin, yeah.
2: Boy, he's a fine safety, man. He's he's a, he's a stud in the running game. Yeah. I, mean, I just uh, he's, he's like having another linebacker. And, and I was particularly impressed how well your defensive line held up against Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, that's a. I expect this to be a pretty low-scoring game. I think yeah. Physical, game is fun to watch. Yeah, your guys' defense was very impressive. I thought. I mean, I think in some ways, last year's game will probably foreshadow what happens this year as well. Um, I think it's I think it's kind of a toss-up in many respects.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean you you hit what it on the, the head. Line?
2: What is the line? I haven't even looked what the line for the game is.
0: Yeah, so I checked right before our call and so the line is looks like Cincinnati's a four point favorite at this point. But oh, the I, uh, ESPN's FPI is actually given Tulsa the edge and in, in a fifty nine point three percent chance to win it.
2: I think that's I think that's very understandable. Four points seems incredibly generous for Cincinnati. I think it should kind of be like a pick 'em kind of a situation. Yeah, so. that's
0: that's kind of what I expected. But then again, I mean, you've got people seeing, you know, it's number eight Cincy coming to town, and maybe maybe the maybe the thinking is more along what you were saying, in that people are thinking that he is a little bit overranked at this point, um, and so they expect some regression back to the mean.
2: I would just think, though, after seeing Tulsa's performance against Oklahoma State. They shouldn't be able to sneak up on people. Yeah. Just how well that defense played in that game. And even though it was a 6-16-7, right, It was the final? Yeah. You guys move the ball at times very well. And I think Zach Smith's an impressive quarterback, and it seems like there's a range of targets. And even you guys, in my mind, have a two-headed kind of running back uh, thing situation, too, with uh, Wilkerson and Prince are their names, right?
0: Yep, that's right.
2: They're, yeah, I mean, you guys could move the ball on the ground, too. I think this is a concerning game, I think.
0: Yeah, and that's like, so we, we lost our kind of bell cow starting running back before the Oklahoma state game, even it was Shamari Brooks. And he's been kind of the guy for a couple of years for us. And so he's been out. And then the other, it's so It's so funny now because uh, coming into the season, that's the, the one, two punch running back was going to be Shamari Brooks and Corey Taylor. And then for the first game, you know, Shamari Brooks got hurt the week before that game. So he's out for the season, but then Corey Taylor was still kind of, kind of there as far as anybody knew. Um, but he apparently was out, Uh, in quarantine for 12 days or something like that before the game so he only played like five snaps so all of a sudden um, against Oklahoma State and then even against UCF our main two have been the guys that you mentioned Prince and Wilkerson with Taylor kind of inching his way back into the rotation Uh, so we might have more with I could see Cincinnati Taylor being all the way back and we kind of rotate between those three guys more evenly now but yeah the main two so far have been Prince who's a transfer from Texas A&M and then TK Wilkerson who's from here in town
2: Okay. Yeah, I mean, you guys also have several good good receiving targets. I think Stokes is very impressive, and Jackson and Crawford are the names that came to mind from what I from what I saw. I mean, you guys can move the ball around. I think I think Zach Smith is a very uh, smart quarterback, with a lot of field awareness. Um, he's I think he's he's very he's very mature back there.
0: Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's gonna have to go up up against a, a heck of a defense though uh, this weekend. So let's talk about the defense a bit. So the defense. Uh, looks like the real deal once again. Uh, I, I think they definitely are the real deal once again. They're coming in fourth nationally in scoring defense. I saw number one in passes intercepted, including five last game against South Florida, which blew my mind. Uh, that That is unbelievable. Even against South Florida. I mean, come on. Five interceptions. That's, that's amazing.
2: The, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, Wiggins and uh, Derek Forrest and uh, Gardner. I mean, that there's just... I mean, all four of the starting defensive backs got nominated for national awards. <laughs> yeah. They were the season started i mean it's one of college football's best secondaries mm-hmm. i think the defensive line has been a pleasant surprise to michael pitts who you know was, was an okay performer his first couple of years there has really re- emerged as an anchor on that d line and uh, my j sanders is pass rushing well i do think one of cincinnati's advantages will be their defensive front against Paul's offensive line mm-hmm. which is i think i think is okay but i i certainly wouldn't consider it one of the team's strengths um i think if cincinnati is able to take control of the game it will be in, in in part a product of the defensive front seven's ability to assert themselves uh, on Saturday.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the rankings just go, you can just go down the list. I mean, they're top 25 in like basically <laughs> like most categories, it's amazing. Uh, passing yeah. yards allowed, rushing defense, total defense, defense efficiency, you can keep going. Uh, it just seems like Cincinnati has been so good at defense for so many years now, uh, big time playmakers going up to the next level all the time. Um, mm-hmm. What is it about, the Bearcats. That that uh what is it just recruiting? There there's you know, it's kind of known as the defensive school in the American. So you guys are just getting those kind of guys. Is it the coordinator? What 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 makes the Bearcats defense so consistent and make it click like that?
2: I do think for whatever reason, football players out of Ohio, they seem to there seems to be a kind of smart, tough defensive player that people are able to recruit out of Ohio. What it doesn't matter if they come from Cleveland or Toledo or Cincinnati or elsewhere in the state. It just there's a certain mentality their players have and I think a lot of the teams that are that are in and around Ohio seem to have uh, seem to have a defensive toughness about them. and The Bearcats certainly exemplify that. Recruiting is certainly part of it. I mean, under Tuberville, recruiting was terrible. Fickle is a much is a much more inspiring kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Has brought in a lot of talent very quickly, largely from the the environs of Cincinnati as well. Right. So I think they've been able to load up and have and have a new guy step up all the time, who's um, capable of getting the job done. And I think, I mean, for one thing this year, I mean, Jarrell White, after missing last year, such an inspiring story for the Bearcats, who, I mean, it's in some ways, Zavin uh, Collins is a fairly similar player. They're both these sideline-to-sideline side kind of mm-hmm. guys. Find a way to get involved, it seems like with almost every tackle. So it'll be great. Anybody who likes great linebacker, play, I think this game will be uh, a fantastic showcase on both sides of the ball.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, we keep going back, but I am I'm really looking forward to this game. There're just a lot of big-time names to keep an eye on, cool matchups across the board for both teams. Yeah. I think it's going to be really fun. Um so we've we've talked a little bit about some of the big-name players on both sides of the ball at this point, but who are some of the uh lesser-known guys that Tulsa fans should be keeping an eye on for this game?
2: I really do think the other two, the other two backs, Charles, McCle- uh, Charles McClellan and uh, Jerome Ford, mm-hmm. uh, behind Oaks are very Um, are very uh, worthy backs who will contribute both as pass catchers. They're actually both pretty good blocking backs as well. So they will make contributions in several different respects for the Bearcats. Also um, pacing dokes dokes as well. I think if Cincinnati is able to turn this game into a siege and wear a Tulsa out, in part it will be able because be a product of having three such adept backs uh, for, uh, for Cincinnati. I mean, the Bearcats' offensive line is also maybe not the most heralded around. Jakari Robinson's a really great center. James Hudson's an excellent left tackle. I think those would be some names to keep in mind as well, too, in the in the trenches for Saturday.
0: Yeah, and then on the defensive side of the ball, is it just kind of stars all around, or, or is it, are there some lesser-known guys there that you think might stick their head out?
2: Well, I mentioned Mike Pitts earlier, who's a mm-hmm. defensive tackle, who I, may not be quite as well-known as some of these other guys, but he just he's, seems like a, a genuine workhorse on the defensive side of the ball. He plays a lot of snaps, seems to contribute both in the pass rush as well as in the running game, he'll, even if he's not making tons of tackles, he's going to draw attention from the uh, Tulsa offensive line and make a contribution in some respect during the game. So I think he's he's one of the less heralded players in the conferences in, in, on the Cincinnati roster, who is in fact making a big contribution to their success. He had a particularly good game against South Florida, and drew a lot of attention, uh, enabling White, among others, to uh, rack up the tackles in that game.
0: Yep, yep, totally get it. Uh, cool. Well, yeah, looking forward to that for sure. Um, it looks like, Matt, you had one that you wanted to ask.
1: Yeah. Um, so just going into this game, we've talked about, you know, some of Tulsa's weapons, both on the offense and defensive side of the ball. Uh, what would what do you think would be your biggest concern uh, regarding Tulsa? Like where do, do you think Tulsa might cause the most havoc for Cincinnati this week?
2: I'm concerned about uh, Cincinnati's ability to consistently move the ball. So I completely expect Tulsa to just have a bunch of guys up in the box to try to stop Cincinnati from asserting themselves on the ground. And that will force Ritter, who's been a bit shaky, to make the plays in this game. And if he can't, in particular, do it with his feet, I don't know if this receiving core is up to the task of um, of asserting themselves against uh, the Tulsa secondary. So if, if the game is in Ritter's hands, I do have a bit of concern walking in just because he's been so shaky so far this year. And I think Tulsa's defense is quite accomplished. I mean, certainly... Oklahoma State it was always a high-powered offense can speak to that. And just having watched that tape, I'm, I'm quite concerned about how well they shut, shut down all aspects of the uh, Oklahoma State attack. So, yeah, I think Cincinnati's inability to move the ball in the air is my, my biggest concern on uh, Saturday.
0: Yeah, so that kind of ties in uh, a listener question that we got, and you might have seen that on Twitter too, Clayton. But from uh, Joe Brobeck, so he's at Joe Brobeck on Twitter. He, you know, writes for Underdog Dynasty, uh, writes for Sixty year Sports. Now, really stand up guy. He's a
2: great mind. Yeah, he's a really, really bright guy.
0: Yeah, he's been doing a great job. I've, I've, I love following him on both those platforms, Underdog Dynasty and the Sixty year Sports thing that he's doing now. Both have been really awesome to follow on Twitter and on their website. So definitely recommend that. Um, But yeah, he asked a similar thing. Like how, how is, oh, sorry, go ahead.
2: He's such a good film analyst too. I'm always very impressed with his abilities on that. Um, I certainly can't, can't draw things up like he does. He really can break down, break down passing schemes and everything so impressively
0: well. Yeah, I know. I, I, I totally agree. and I, I think he's been doing more of that recently as well. You know, this season seems like at least I personally have seen more from him. Maybe I was just missing more of it last year. But I, I thought it seems like he's been doing a lot more of that. And like you, I am really enjoying uh, his kind of takes and his dissection of certain plays and certain players and how they evolve inside an offense or inside a defense. It's really nice to watch. Um but yeah, he, he asked a similar thing. Like how, how is Cincinnati going to move the ball through the air specifically against the Tulsa secondary? Like you said, I, I would not be surprised if the game plan was stack the box, uh, leave Allie green and a Caleb Evans out on an Island, forced Desmond Ritter and the receivers to beat those DBs. Um, so do you think, I mean, I don't know. Do you think since he has, I, I'm sure they're expecting something similar. What do you think the plan is to get past that roadblock?
2: Well, I hope they have the receiving core prepared. Um, Jason Jackson, Trey Tucker, Josh Wile at tight end. That those guys are going to end up stepping up and making big plays because they really haven't been forthcoming the last couple of games. My hope is that one of them or somebody else in the core is going to uh, is going to stand out and make some big plays for Cincinnati because they will certainly need it uh, on Saturday afternoon.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned those three receivers and we also kind of talked about how none of them have really broken out yet and you're still waiting for one of those guys or more for that to happen for them. If you had to take a guess on who that's going to be this season, who's going to be the number one guy or kind of if if someone is to separate themselves from the crowd in the in the Cincinnati receiving core, who who do you think that's going to be?
2: I think Josh Wilde's the most likely guy I mean because they were Cincinnati was so dependent on Deguero last season as as a tight end mm-hmm. to serve as the as the safety valve for Ritter. I think that would be returning to Ritter's comfort zone to uh to to use the tight end as the I guess baseline um part of their passing attack. So that's that's my hope that he's a guy who ends up getting five or six catches a game. Um but we'll see we'll see moving forward.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Um okay, cool. So Looking at the game overall, we kind of talked about it a little bit, uh, Cincinnati being the number eight team in the country. Um, as a Monday night, and this is what I mentioned earlier on, ESPN's Football Power Index, the FPI there, is giving Tulsa a 59.3% chance to win this game uh, after beating number 11 UCF on the road a week ago or a little bit over a week ago. Um, in terms of the spread, though, like I, like I said, Cincinnati's a four-point favorite. So either way, uh, looks like it's going to be a close game. At least that's where the money's mind is at. Um, thinking about the game and how it's going to go, in your opinion, what needs to go right for Cincinnati and in, in in this game for them to pick up the road win?
2: Assert themselves on the ground, which will will stop them from having to rely on big plays in the air to win this game. If Cincinnati can find a way to consistently uh, move the ball with Dokes and the rest of the rushing core, I think uh, think they'll win this game. I expect it to be fairly low scoring and. Um, I, yeah, I, I expect I expect Cincinnati to win a low-scoring, close game, but I certainly would not be surprised if Tulsa won. I think it is kind of a uh, kind of a coin flip.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's uh, that's what I think all of the Tulsa fan base is hoping and 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 thinking as well. I think we're in for a good one. Um, thinking about the coach, Luke Fickle. We haven't talked to much as much about him. I think he's an awesome guy. He's been killing it in Cincinnati for a long time. Um, but he's still he's sticking around. You know he's been linked to several other jobs uh, over the past couple of years. Is uh you know if Cincinnati you know it's a ten game season if they win seven games plus this year, um do you think he is gonna stick around longer? What's his contract looking like? What do you think the future is for Luke Fickle at Cincinnati?
2: Well, I, apparently they have not signed up for a while, and I think there are a couple of jobs he would take. Ohio State opened up and he got offered that mm-hmm. job. I think Ohio State. I have a sneaking suspicion if Notre Dame opened up for some reason, he would go there as well, because I think he would be a, in some ways an ideal candidate for, it. he's a fairly devout Catholic. He has a large family. He has some kind of family ties to Notre Dame. I don't know all the, all the issues mm-hmm. uh, with that. I think that would be another place he would, he would be willing to go. Maybe another high profile big 10 program, Wisconsin or something. I don't think he's leaving for anything other than a pretty elite job. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's, he's, he's earned it at this point. I don't think he's going to go, you know, coach at Indiana or something. Right. I think he's going to hold down for a fairly prominent big 10 job or another, you know, job of that's of, of similar quality to that. Um, he's, he's been a fantastic coach. He's a, a fine motivator. He's an excellent recruiter. He's a great representative of the institution too. You never find yourself embarrassed by the coach of Cincinnati. He's exactly the kind of guy you'd want coaching your son. He's exactly the kind of guy you'd want representing your institution. I mean, he's from day one, the, the minute he walked off the plane, uh, and uh, became the Bearcats coach, he's been uh, nothing but a, but a fine example and uh, an inspiring guy to have as their head coach.
0: Yeah, really, really agree. I think he's really a stand-up guy. Um, like I said, I, he's just been doing such a great job over there for so long now. It's amazing. I mean, I'm really, really, really happy about that. Cincinnati's been a great school to play, and compete against, have in the conference in general just for the overall elevation of what they've done for the American along with Cincinnati-Memphis and go down the list a little bit.
2: Well, you guys punch above your weight. Anytime I see how big Tulsa is, I was expecting to see this <laughs> massive team and it isn't, you've got like, like 4,000 students or something?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right.
2: That's amazing. That's I think that's, I mean, considering how successful Tulsa's been, that is incredibly, That that's like people are like best pound-for-pound fighters. That's got to be one of the best pound-for-pound college football programs around in terms of the size of the institution relative to their reputation and success.
0: Yeah, you got to think so. I mean, that's always an argument for Tulsa for sure. One of their big uh, selling points to students even is, uh, you know, come here, we've got a a small student base, small teacher to student ratio, but we've got D1 Athletics playing the American and and consistently or relatively consistently do pretty well. Um, So you got a little bit of a, a, a kind of a combination of both worlds there.
2: Is, is, is it aligned with a denomination or something, or is it just a private college?
0: It was Presbyterian uh, historically, but these mm-hmm. days it's. I don't think they hold that rep or the hold that
1: specific I think it's, affiliation. It's still anymore. technically still technically affiliated, but it's pretty much just a just a private college now.
2: I should have known that. Yeah, that's 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 really interesting. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's incredible. Any anytime there's a school that's a, I mean like like Wake Forest. there's only got like six thousand kids in there in the ACC. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean. I I tend to root for the schools of these fairly small guys within these schools, with these massive alumni bases Mm -hmm. and uh, massive student bodies and stuff. I think it's incredibly impressive. I mean, Wake's been, you know, not not a bad bad team in recent years in the ACC. In the same way Tulsa's, you guys are very infrequently not at least a competitive team. I, I think it's quite impressive what Tulsa Athletics has done.
0: Yeah, you know, it's uh, it always makes it fun for me. I have grown up my whole life being, and a lot of other people, you know, just kind of the underdog fan, right? And Tulsa is like the ultimate underdog in terms of the small school going up against the bigger school. I mean, it happens every week in football. We're the smallest D1 FBS team, so I really enjoy that aspect of it. Um, the small versus the big kind of kind of storyline there, and it's just fun. It makes it makes it fun and exciting to root for Tulsa year in and year out. It's been really great.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I hope you guys have a very good season. I wish you all the best for the rest of the schedule.
0: Yeah, well, hey, um, that's all I've got for you, Clayton, Is there anything else you wanted to talk about while we've got you on the phone here?
2: I can't can't think of anything. I'd love you guys to come to Down the Drive. It's SB Nation Cincinnati Bearcats website. We cover the entire AAC football of uh, the entire AAC football conference, as well as men's and women's college basketball. I'd love for you guys to follow me on Twitter as well, um, Clayton Truter, C-L-A-Y-T-O-N-T-R-U-T-O-R, and um, patronize my various uh, <laughs> writing different platforms. Uh, and I appreciate your guys' time, and it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I look forward to doing it again sometime soon.
0: Yeah. It's really been a pleasure. Clayton. I, like you said, I mean, I am really looking forward to Saturday. I think it's going to be a fun game. Uh, lots of good matchups to keep an eye on for that one. So got to thank you again for coming on, especially late on a Monday night. Really appreciate the time. Appreciate the effort. Um, let's have, let's go have a good one on Saturday. Absolutely.
2: I'm looking forward to it and best of luck to your guys.
0: All right. Thanks a lot, Clayton. You we'll too. talk to you later. Thank you. Talk to you guys soon. Okay. And thank you again very much to Clayton Truder for joining the show. Um, as I mentioned, it was really late. Uh, we're recording; it's 9 p.m. on Monday night. So grateful for him for joining us, kind of late in the evening. Very kind. Uh, learned a lot about the Bearcats. Hopefully, you guys did too. That guy is writing every day over at down the drive on on uh, SB Nation, uh, Cincinnati's SB Nation site. So go check that out if you can. I know he gave his Twitter handle and as well, except um, for several other things. So definitely worth reading his writing. He's doing a great job, um, Matt. I guess just following up on the interview with him. Did you have anything you wanted to add or wanted to give your overall thoughts on the game or anything like that?
1: Uh, so I was just kind of in, interested in looking this up. Uh, and so this is actually the first time that Tulsa will play a top-10 team, like, from the Americans since we've been in the conference. Nice. Like, part Part of that, I mean, you'll say it's like, would Cincinnati be a top-10 team if the Big uh, Big Ten and Pac-12 were in it? I don't know. Who cares? Not relevant. Um like, the highest-ranked team I think we've played in the American was UCF at 11. Before that, I think it was Houston at 13 back in 2016. Mm. When yeah. We uh, were cheated out of a victory. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. If you will. and so if you will, Absolutely were. Yeah. And so the only other team, like... And that's actually 2016 is the last time we played a top 10 team uh, when we got absolutely throttled by Ohio State. Oh so, fingers crossed, that's not what's going to happen to this opponent from the well, state of Ohio. Is there rain in the forecast? Uh, I don't think so. Not I'm this literally... Weekend. I think it's actually... I'm checking. Tulsa, Tulsa weather. So, let's get that forecast. All right, going 10-day. Zero percent. 10-day forecast. Oh, yeah. 75 degrees and sunny. That Perfect is winning form. weather right there. Although 19-mile-per-hour wins, but it doesn't matter. Hey, man, if you give me a rainy day
0: on homecoming against a Bearcats team who's just going to run the ball every time, advantage goes to the Bearcats. Let us throw the ball around, and we definitely get some kind of edge there. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's going to be a good one. I'm psyched. I think, you know, uh, in terms of predictions or whatever, um, I really think Tulsa's going to win it. I feel like it's not... There's nothing that's, you know, we're not looking over Cincinnati, obviously. This is the big game on the schedule, number eight team. Total focus is on them. We got out of UCF relatively unscathed. I don't I don't know of our injury report or anything like that at this point, but I don't think we're really missing anybody crucial that we weren't missing before. Um, so I think we came out of that one pretty, pretty healthy. Have you heard anything otherwise, Matt? I've heard nothing. Yeah, so I think it's, I'm feeling good about, The health of the team. Haven't heard anything COVID-related about anything like that. So, hopefully, you know, all signs are are looking ahead to a healthy game against the Bearcats. And I think the team. I mean, you can't be more confident than they are than they got to be right now. You know, unless I guess the only more the only way they'd be more confident is if we played Cincinnati this weekend. Probably just shorter period of time in between the the giant UCF win and now so we had the week off so hopefully there's not some kind of deflation there uh, in terms of how they're thinking about this game but I I really don't think there is I think it's just more time to prepare more time to get excited uh, about playing a team like Cincinnati having a top 10 win on your on your schedule regardless of you know whether you think they deserve to be top 10 or not that is a huge deal I mean it just it is it's a massive opportunity in front of them. They are coming off the biggest win in a long time, certainly in Philip Montgomery's tenure. And so I, I am super excited for this game. And I think they got a real chance to win it. I think there are not that many weapons on the Cincinnati side. I think we'll have a good a good shot at stopping them pretty well as long as the offense can get rolling a few times. You know, if we put up over twenty five points in this game. I think we win it. I don't think Cincinnati's gonna score over, over twenty five on us. So the offense's gotta get rolling, but I, I'm feeling good.
1: Yeah, I am too. Um I just so I know Pat was texting us about Zavin Collins being like maybe the second highest ranked linebacker prospect in the country. And so I mean, I am ready to let Zavin Collins take us to the promised land. Like <laughs> that's what it comes down to. I think like our this is a which is just blows my mind with philip montgomery as our head coach but i i mean our defense is going to be the reason why we win the conference this year Mm -hmm. i'm I'm gonna say that right now yeah i mean i don't think that's uh that's going too far out of line however
0: i do think um and this was uh this was brought up i think on either hurricane podcast bruce howard was interviewing a player um and they were talking about how how much better their offense can still be you know, and the offense did well against UCF. You know, not counting the the disgusting yeah, beginning of that game. The
1: first half of the game.
0: Yeah, and I can't remember who the player was, which is really really killing me right now. But he, uh, the player was saying, you know, what we're seeing, even the good parts of what we're seeing, are nothing like what they see in practice all the time. Going against our defense, right? So they they're playing against a very clearly very talented defense every week in practice, and doing very well, uh, according to to the player. So. I'm psyched about what the offense still can show. I think there's a lot they still can show. Obviously, we had you know a rocky first game and then a rocky beginning to the second game. If we can put a complete game together, uh, and I'm not saying we're going to put a, a totally complete one against Cincinnati, which is uh, probably the the best or second best defense we're going to play this year, um, then we've got a real shot. If we can put something together on the offensive end in this game, I'm feeling so good about the rest of the season. I do think it's I I think we're just going to get better and better. Like. It really, it really feels like we're settling into our own on the offensive end. We already have settled into our own, and more on the defensive end. We got a real shot, you know, to to make it make it a special season this year. And I think they've clearly shown that already. Just gotta keep it going, one game at a time. Um, definitely don't want to get overexcited about Cincinnati. You know, I think I think that can that can happen to teams, especially on the defensive end. They come out too fast, uh, you know, too excited to play a, a team like this. And uh, can kind of make some early mistakes, so hopefully we stay out of that. But man, I uh, I am really psyched about this game. Um, in terms of what's going on across the conference, let's take a look around the American. Uh, several pretty cool games this season or this last week. Uh, so there were three games. Um, Houston played two-lane on Thursday, and that was a that was a weird one. <laughs> so. Houston beat them. Uh, Houston beat Tulane, forty-nine to thirty-one. It was Houston's first game of the season, and I don't know if you watched it, Matt, but it was ugly to start the game. Houston looked like they, you know, it was their first game, you know, and so all of the things that you are hoping don't show as being very obviously your first game, they all definitely showed. It was it was really close. What you
1: It, it really like T U Oklahoma State. Is that what
0: it looked like? It also looked like T U UCF. <laughs> yeah, to
1: start the game, oh, it was.
0: It was. I mean, yeah, dude. They're So they've got. Clayton Tune is their quarterback, um, and he you know he's a he's similar like body style and I, he just kind of looks like Zach Smith out there when he's throwing the ball around, um, kind of a big arm, big big dude playing QB for them, and he had a couple early early interceptions that were really ugly. A pick, I think one of them was a pick six. I know he threw it falling down close to the end zone. I'm pretty sure he got taken home. Um, and then he lost a Fumble as well. So it just like, couldn't have gotten started on a worst foot for Dana Holgerson and the Cougars there. And Tulane was up 24-7 to early in that game. And then, you know, Fear, you're watching Fear the Wave and the Scott and Holman podcast go back and forth on Twitter. The whole time, Fear the Wave is freaking out, uh, thinking they are just going to run away with this thing. Not really. They, I, actually, that's probably unfair. I, I don't think they got uh, out of control with their confidence. Um, but clearly, had the, had the upper hand. Uh, up twenty four to seven, and then it was like okay. It is it's the it's the Houston show from then on, right? So the final score, like I said, was forty nine to thirty one, and then you know Tulane had 24, 24 to seven lead early on there. So they scored. Tulane scored one more time. Uh, Houston scored you know seven more times there, <laughs> which or six more times I suppose if they already had seven. So that is that is just nuts. Houston rolled them. They looked so strong, uh, and I think it reflects in the uh you know the the AAC blogger poll that we participated in i think they came in fifth or sixth in the poll this week um after their first game back and people recognize that they got talent on the team they had everybody sit out last year uh or not you know not everybody but a lot of players sit out last year and it shows they've got experience there they've got talent where they need it their defense looked much better i mean i know it's only Tulane, lane who's not known to be uh an offensive powerhouse or anything like that but they they Totally shut them down in the, in the second. You know, even in the second half of the second quarter and on. um So I, Houston's got a lot to show. Uh, outgained Tulane 476 to 211 in total yards. Tulane did nothing in that entire second half. It was a, it was a, it was a crazy game.
1: Yeah, I kind of uh honestly feel a little bit bad for Tulane uh, mm-hmm. just because their two conference games have now are. Uh, <laughs> is it? They're only. They've only played two conference games, right? their wins are outside of conference uh Um, yes
0: they beat southern miss by 50 or whatever and i don't remember who their first game was
1: yeah um but to get that lead against navy and then get that lead against houston and then blow both of them oof rough day for the wave Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. So their first one was South Alabama. And I saw Chris Benini, who's a, you know, writer at The Athletic. He was writing about Tulane, or not writing, but tweeting about Tulane and saying that they are the most, like, roller coastery team going on right now. So the tweet from Chris Benini, uh, he, he said, I've never seen a team with so many swings as Tulane uh, last year. So this is, you know, he's got two things here. Last year, start 5-1. and one, Finished seven and six, which I totally forgot about. They started five and one. I think I don't remember if they were ranked or not. They were right on the cusp of being ranked at that point, if they weren't already. And then they finished seven and six, right? which is uh, just gosh, that's got to be brutal for them. And then the second half of the suite is this year, right? So this is all stuff that's happened in 2020, this season. First game, down 24 to six to South Alabama, <laughs> win 27 to 24. Next game, up 24 to zero on Navy, lose 27 to 24. Gave up 27 unanswered points against the Mids. Game three, playing rival Southern Miss, down 14 nothing early, win 66 to 24, 66 the most ever scored in Southern Miss Stadium. Um, and then previous game, then what we just talked about against Houston, up 24 to 7, and then they lost that game uh, by kind of a lot. So just a ridiculous. Houston went on a 42 to 7 run or whatever. Um, just a just a crazy, crazy game, um, like you said, Matt. Kind of feel bad for Tulane, but so it goes, right? Um, okay, next game up, Navy. Also, super unpredictable team. They are somehow two and zero in the American after looking like garbage against not American teams. Not sure what that says about the conference versus the non-conference games, or teams, or the level of play, or just the teams that they played in the American so far, or just luck. Uh, but they played Temple. The Temple Owls uh, played them, beat them, 31 to 29. Navy two and zero, tied for first in the conference. Obviously, Navy ran for 250 yards against the Owls. Uh, fullback, arguably the most important offensive piece of the triple option offense. Uh, their fullback Nelson Smith ran for 120 yards and two touchdowns by himself. Crazy. Uh, This was also Temple's first game, so you know take that with a grain of salt, not Navy's first game. They've had a chance to kind of get ready to roll and everything like that. However, the opposite argument is that I think Navy just played Air Force last week, and it was Air Force's first game, and my argument then was, oh, if you're going to have one team that you're going to spend your entire offseason preparing for, Navy's the perfect team to have all this extra time for because they run this triple option that you need to iron down what you're going to do. Temple... Same thing. I mean, they probably didn't expect this to be their first game, but they had all this time to prep for Navy to get going, and Navy just ran all over them. And Temple has, you know, often one of the top defenses in the conference, and I think they're expected to this year once again. So not sure what's going on. Uh, However, I was pretty sure that Temple was going to drop this year. Um, I don't know. You know, one game doesn't prove anything, obviously, but – Uh, I'm just very much not high on their quarterback, Anthony Russo, and their offense in general, and I think their defense is going to take a little bit of a step back this season. So, um, like I said, I I guaranteed back earlier on that we would finish higher in the conference than them, and that if we don't finish higher in the conference than Temple, that I slash we will do a uh, standalone podcast episode or a blog post about why Temple is better than Tulsa, but... Could not have gotten off to a better start for uh, for my bet there with us beating UCF to to kick things off in conference play and with Temple losing to Navy who is uh, looking really bad sometimes and then like a mediocre team other times so uh, or maybe even a good team other times so not sure what's going on there but kind of excited that Navy beat Temple.
1: I will say I saw it on uh, somewhere on Twitter that in the last time that Temple gave up. Uh, this many rushing yards to a military academy was back in 2015, I think, or 2016 uh, when they did it to Army. And then Temple ended up winning the conference that oh, year. Oh, yeah. So, I saw that too. I mean, yeah, scary. Who knows what will actually happen?
0: However, I have no idea how good Army was. Were they? I don't know if they were super good back in 2016 or if it was just a kind of a fluky thing. But yes, I did see that tweet as well. And that, you know... Yeah, it's concerning. I'm not going to, you know, whatever. It's previous years. I'm not going to put it all on mirroring the, the past couple seasons or anything, but who knows. Yeah, so the last game, there were only three uh, this se- this this last week. I keep saying season, this last week. Um, mania, as UCF was calling it on Twitter, <laughs> which, I, which I was really enjoying. Uh, USF playing East Carolina for the Battle of the Bottom of the American. And so... You just, I don't know. You just feel for these guys because so ECU coming off a really bad looking loss against Georgia State. The vaunted offense and Holton Ayers and everything that they're supposed to have um, looks terrible against Georgia State, right? So it was like, what the hell is going on with the Pirates? And then you've got USF, which everyone really expected to be down. Everyone kind of thought ECU was going to pop up a little bit this year. USF, pretty much, you know, categorically, everyone thought down year for them, first-year head coach and Jeff Scott from Clemson and everything. Um, but a lot of unknowns with USF, too, so whatever. Uh, so this is, you know, battle for what is probably going to be last place in the conference. Barring Temple, I still think they threaten for that, but that's just me. I don't, I don't know. So ECU, though, um, this is playing in Tampa, and ECU showed up. I don't know if they were pissed off about how bad they looked against Georgia State or if USF is really 20 points worse than the Bulls. But are 20 points better than the Bulls? Uh, So ECU beat them by 20, 44 to 24, and that is just painful. I mean, of all, this was everyone on Twitter was saying this is the one that USF's got to win. This is their most winnable game the rest of the year. Uh, Their second most winnable, I think, is probably Temple. But this was the one, you know, that they could have at home. You got to put up a good fight. If you lose by 20 to the East Carolina Pirates at home, that is bad news for your season. Holden Aylers looked like the best quarterback in the conference all of a sudden against them. Uh, and, you know, I mean, there is something to be said, I think, because USF played Cincinnati last week and picked them off three times. They picked off Desmond Ritter three times. And, you know, we just talked to Clayton about how Ritter's not looking that good or anything like that. But still, uh, Holden Aylers, I don't know. Maybe he's a tier above Desmond, but he's he's a sophomore, I believe. Maybe, maybe a junior at this point. But still, I mean, he got picked off several times against Georgia State and looked like an MVP candidate against the Bulls. So I'm looking forward to playing USF for sure to sling the ball around against them. Uh, They did have a couple. I mean, I am, you know, this is Mike Houston's second year, I believe, with the Pirates as their head coach. They've got some young up-and-comers, it really seems like, that are coming up over there in Greenville. Their freshman running back, Rajay Harris, ran for 115 yards and two touchdowns. Sophomore wide receiver C.J. Johnson, which the Sports Objective podcast guys talk about all the time, uh, three catches for 99 yards and two touchdowns. And it's hard, like, I don't know. I don't want to take away everything from the South Florida game because it's South Florida and they're just struggling this year. But those are some young dudes who are doing really well for them. And you got to think that with Holton Aylers kind of developing over time, still getting better, making better decisions, not making the stupid interceptions that he was against Georgia State, um, you got to think they're going to be pretty dangerous in the in the coming years, in the next year or two. Um, but that's what everybody said this year too, and it hasn't started off like that. Who knows? Maybe they'll flip the script and and be good this year. But it's a rough start for the Pirates. But they did get the win in Tampa over the Bulls. Okay, so it looks like we are just about out of time. Uh, so we'll wrap it up here. If you like the show, please share it on Twitter. Tell a friend about it. Uh, Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, any of that kind of stuff. It really helps us out. Really appreciate it. If you want to support us financially, you can find a couple of different ways to do that on our website. You can go to thegoldenhurricast.com support to find those ways there. And finally, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at goldenhurricast, all one word. Or you can send us an email, and that email address is thegoldenhurricast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again to Clayton Truder for joining the show, and thank you all for listening once again, and we will talk to you next week.
1: Stay golden.